listeners, thanks for giving us your ears again. This is the Filmed in Canada podcast. It's free. Uh, I'm William Lee, and uh, the other people in the room are? Uh, Chris, Happy New Year. And Alexander. Nice to see you guys again. This will be uh, the first uh, posting for 2018, so we're back for maybe another year. And this year is going to be so much different, I think. Would you agree, Alexander? Yes. Yeah. We have big things planned for the podcast, the special West Coast podcast about Canadian movies. And uh, we're glad that you're still listening to us, giving us your time. Are you glad? I'm super glad. I'm very glad. That's I'm good. glad that, well, for uh, Chris and Alexander who are in the room, I'm glad you guys are still participating. Well, you know what we're they say. doing this thing. Yeah. Gladness is next to godliness. So that's better than what I had on a t-shirt, which was gladness is next to sadness. That didn't make any sense. <laughs> but, uh, but to listeners, uh, I, I am glad. Gladness and, is two letters away from sadness. Yes, it's, it's practically the same mm-hmm. in that respect. But, um, oh, uh, so we've got our Facebook group where people can um, take part in the conversation. Hell yeah, we do. Uh, no one has yet to take part in the conversation. Except, I, I, no, I can't say that. But um, we—I ha- don't know—we haven't people, really done much either. But, no, no. People have given us like the uh, the thumbs up or whatever. The likes. The like. Yeah. 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 So that's good. And uh, Joy. Yeah, yeah Joy out in Tio. She's uh, she sent her regards to us. So thanks, yeah. Joy. Um, a future thing that I want to do for the show is uh, is have like a survey episode where well, not real survey episode. I I, I wanted to do like a best films of Vancouver kind of episode or best films in Van- in in Montreal or best films in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I think um, the first stage of that, like for example, let's if we were going to do a uh, best film shot in Vancouver, I would want to solicit some of our listenership to send in their nominations, so to speak, yeah. of like what, you know, what are notable films that were shot in Vancouver. And from that list, we would um, I haven't thought the whole thing through yet, but uh, I think we would have a panel of uh, perhaps uh, the past contributors or, or guest contributors, uh, and they could uh, they could rank the nominees, uh, yeah. and then of those uh, of the top selections of of, of that, uh, we could have a, a show where we discuss why these movies made the list. So sounds good to me. Yeah, I look forward to that. So if you're on you the Facebook... look forward to also participating in that. I would, that would be even better. Yeah. <laughs> I always get the sense that you, like, whatever you come on the podcast, you, you're, you're, like a, you're, you're like a listener. You're not a guest. Well, I've heard every episode. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really enjoy it. And thanks for, thanks for starting out 2018 with more content. That's great. Yeah. Congratulations, you guys. That's but I, I two guess, years. I, I guess I just, I don't, I, I want to recognize your contributions as well and not just... Add, like think of you as uh, as a listener to the long time listener here. big fan yeah but but also <laughs> sometimes contributor sometimes also contributor, contributor. <laughs> but I, I think well i think what alexander is saying is that you're a regular contributor not yeah. just <laughs> do i get the like most, a special guest star like on the love boat the most regular contributor oh of, so it's good to be regular especially at this age <laughs> it is yeah <laughs> um what movie are we talking about today? Yeah. Uh, well, just not in time for the season. Uh, we're going to be talking about the 1974 movie Black Christmas. <gasps> the original Ooh, slasher movie. That's right. That's what people have 
said about it. Yeah. Yeah. So despite Halloween still holding that title. Well, yeah, uh, we're going to I guess look at the 70s and what that meant for the evolution of horror movies. Um, I think... Uh, I'm not prepared to do that. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> was I supposed to do research? No, no. no the, the, the amount of research I did was I went on IMDb just to write down the years that some of those movies came out. Okay. So, and from that, <laughs> we're having an in-depth discussion about this movie. Perfect. About, about, the, about the horror movies in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Not quite, but... Actually, Black Christmas is... Um, I, I, just in a in a really quick uh, internet researching, uh, googling kind of thing, uh, I noticed that a lot of movie blogs and podcasts that have talked about Black Christmas. So it mm. seems like there is a uh, maybe more than a cult following. I think there is a certain um, appreciation for Black Christmas that has uh, that's grown. Um, maybe would you can I might contribute it to the internet because you know every. Every little uh, niche corner of interest has um, uh, pockets of fans that then find other pockets that they uh, they merge together to make mm-hmm. a huge fan base. So everything has a fan base. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I would think that of of any genre of movies, horror movies probably have the most amount of discussion on I, the internet. Yeah, and I like, think so. Because because it is it it works into that whole cult following idea, and like for Canadian movies. The horror movies are the ones that have made their way out into the broader culture more than any others. So, I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Videodrome or My Bloody Valentine, if you if you search those up, if they if they would have a lot of hits as well. But uh, I mean, I think Black Christmas. Somebody who isn't a fan of horror or is just like looking at it um, without any um, nostalgic interest, uh, they could see it as just like it's it's kind of a low rent horror movie mm. it's um it's typical of the type of movies that it is which would which we now call a slasher movie mm-hmm. and they might say that you know it's um um you know it looks a bit cheap the, the actors aren't great uh, and all these other reasons to say like to, to to sort of uh speak lowly of it yeah but i think because of um the way that fans can find each other on the internet there is just the, that there is a a very vocal uh, audience that says no this is a great movie yeah. it's a, it a classic movie and um, uh, maybe they want to found each other or have had supported each other in uh, in calling that out mm-hmm. in you know in the days before the internet but, yeah, even your friends at uh, I know you're fans of the AV club AV club no no that isn't you what's no. what's the <laughs> Red Letter Media? I like Red Letter that, Media. Okay. I, sorry, I always mix those up in my mind. So I, I was doing research this morning as well, and uh, a lot of, like, everything from Rue Morgue to AV Club, like, everyone has something to say about this movie that that talks about horror movies. So you're right, it isn't just this quiet little Canadian movie that happened. Now it's part of the whole, you know, Italian giallo, slasher movies, uh torture porn like all of the subgenres of of horror black christmas is rolled in there in its own thing because of uh it being one of the first slasher movies and mm-hmm. yeah. supposedly inspiring halloween um there's a lot of connections you can make with uh with this and halloween and and that was one of the things that prompted me to kind of look up its history because i was wondering which came first mm-hmm. um so black christmas was 1974 and four years later would be uh the john carpenter directed halloween mm-hmm. um and uh um 
And and uh, there's other things that that feel really familiar about Black Christmas. So so I just um, that that's just to say I, there were, when I watched it, there were things that felt like they've been a part of um, the horror genre forever. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if it started here or if this mm-hmm. was reflecting something that came before. Mm-hmm. So so it was an for me it was an interesting uh, viewing experience. But I, th- I think there are also some elements of it that are very different. Mm-hmm. From the typical horror genre movie that I would also like to get into. We will. Okay. And I would also like to hear Chris's perspective on because I'm a man. <laughs> oh, okay. And she is a woman. <laughs> both, um, both those things are true. <laughs> you might have just rattle off a couple of things about the movie uh, as a backgrounder and then we'll get into it. Rattle away. Okay, so the director is Bob Clark. Yay. Uh, we've talked about him before when we did the recording on Porky's. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Also cited as a very influential movie yeah. by lots of people. And but Bob Clark actually says it was that's that's his chicken noodle soup. That he that is his favorite movie that he's made. It just Porky's. Yeah, because oh, uh-huh. I was reading about Bob Clark this uh-huh. morning, and I think it's just like American Graffiti. Did he I write think it, Porky's? Yeah, it based on him growing up in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, okay. So I think it's like American Graffiti. It just you know it it tickles that nostalgic bone, uh, and he just finds it very comforting because it's really just his growing up his sort of coming of age yeah. but, I mean, it's, but like american graffiti as far as i can recall isn't really offensive in any way no i Whereas just mean I like, like porkies. it's no porkies is terrible <laughs> but i think it's just that thing like this is my growing up yeah. it's like ladybird yeah you know god forbid i'm comparing ladybird to porkies but it, <laughs> it's your story your coming of age yeah. story your yeah. growing up your adventures um, and Bob Clark, so he's from the States, from, uh, but he made his career in Canada, so he's, we, we kind of lump him in with the Canadian filmmakers. Um, and when he, when he died in a car accident in 2007, I think it was, um, prior to that, he was planning a sequel to Black Christmas. Um, did, he, did he direct the remake? No. no. Okay. It's think, a producer credit, I think. Yeah. I think the, the remake was like, done by the people who make the Saw movies. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's right. I think it was James yeah. Wong. Um, the writer is A. Roy Moore. So that's a. So I didn't think we'd start off 2018 by mentioning Roy Moore. The, there you go. The, the, <laughs> the even the even funnier like character name or just name connection with that whole debacle was that he was he was beat by Doug Jones, which is um, in the new season of Twin Peaks. Like the there's like a third version of Agent Cooper. That is like mute and like just basically dumb and like doesn't know what the fuck's going on. And his name is Ducky Jones. <laughs> so, in some in some weird alternate reality, the reason that Roy Moore lost is because of Agent Cooper. <laughs> uh, so it was filmed in Toronto, and uh, there's there's a number of Canadians in the cast, but there's imported talent too, as well. Um, Olivia Hussey is uh, plays Jess. Uh, Kier Dalea is that is that how I say? I'm gonna Dalea? say I'm gonna say Dulia. Dulia, Kier Dulia plays Peter and of then, 2001 fame. Yes, and then uh, and then there's John Saxon from New York, oh, but also uh, Margaret Kidder. She's Canadian. Yeah, yeah, and also Art Hindle is also from Canadian. Superman. Yes, this is before Superman though. Yes. Yeah. Whereas. 2001 was before this, so you can see that Kira Dooley is 
career trajectory was going in one direction while Marco Kidders was going in the opposite. <laughs> uh, the alternate title on its release was Silent Night, Evil Night, which so um, didn't catch anyone's attention, so they so they released it again as uh, Black Christmas. Oh, I what I it read is that released as that or yeah, it did oh. because Warner Brothers thought that Black Christmas sounded like a black exploitation movie, oh. which in 1974, yeah. you know, it could have been. You know, coffee or any of those, uh, you know, Pam Greer black exploitation movies. So yeah. they thought it was, uh, would be mistaken for that. So they wanted to name it. They released it as Silent Night, Deadly Night. Tyler, Tyler Perry's Black Actually, Christmas. Silent, oh, si- what is it? Silent, silent Night, Evil silent, Night? Evil Night, yeah. Because there's a Silent Night, Deadly Night oh, is, is. An, is another horror movie. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I think yeah. it's also Canadian. Oh. Possibly. Yeah. Which, which feeds into why I thought, why I couldn't remember if I've seen this or not and mm-hmm. how, like, elements of it seem like they've been there. because right. those titles are confusing mm-hmm. and uh, there's even, I think there's another movie called um, uh, The Stranger in the House or something like that yes yeah so it, which also recalls this one so mm. um, which came first who knows well I'm sure history would, would no. know no no it's, <laughs> it's, it's a question for the ages yeah well the, the uh, okay Chris do you want to like give us a, a plot synopsis Sure. Uh, it takes place at a sorority uh, house, college campus, and most of the girls have gone home for the Christmas holidays, but a handful of girls are staying in the sorority house. Uh, they've been receiving obscene phone calls from someone they call the moaner, and um, then uh, one by one they each get murdered in the sorority house. And that's what happens. And the killer's inside the house. The calls are coming from inside the house. Oh, spoiler alert. Yeah. But it's it's not really a spoiler because, like, that, that's just, like, a trope. Like, I, it, 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 I think what's more interesting about it is, is discovering that that existed. Like, or, or finding out that this might be, like you were saying, William, is this the source of is that? Is it the first time that this or, has happened? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you felt... Like you would have guessed that that's what was happening because you you already expect that when you get a weird phone call, it's coming from closer than you expect. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, although although like the movie even sets it up because at the beginning of the movie, the killers there's like the, the POV mm. shots where he's walking and looking at the Ooh, party that's happening, yeah. and then he yeah. goes and crawls up into the attic. So like, can we talk about those POV shots? Yeah. Okay. Uh, when doing some research, the Steadicam was introduced in 1976. Right. So uh, someone had asked Bob Clark, how did you get those POV shots of the killer? And the camera operator mounted a camera on his head. So it's actually his hands that are going up the ladder to oh, the cool. attic. And when he looks up, of course, the camera looks up. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think this is also one of the first times we've seen POV killer yeah. Uh, there was a movie in 1960 called Peeping Tom mm. uh, by Michael Powell. and Of of Powell and Pressburger. Yeah. And yeah this yeah, almost I've, I've, uh, I've always wanted to career. see that movie, but I've never, yeah. It's very disturbing. Yeah. And it got a lot of flack and it almost completely um, submarined his career yeah. uh, in England. But you do get the POV of the viewfinder on a camera, like mm. a film camera. So that was... 1960, so 14 years before this movie comes out. But certainly in North America, we hadn't seen a killer POV like this in any other movie, as although, far as I know. Although, would you say, like... Like in Psycho. Yeah, I was thinking Psycho, yeah. Because Clark cites Psycho as one of his influences, for yeah. sure. Because you see, 
you like you definitely see it from what's his name's perspective when he kills what's his what's her name <laughs> right <laughs> right so when norman beats kills janet lee's yeah, character yeah. um that is a pov shot but it doesn't, POV shot. it doesn't feel the same it doesn't feel as intimate like yeah. it's almost like it's almost like you are inside the killer's eyes looking out of his eyes yeah. and i think because they use a fisheye lens and like because it's only one shot within the context of a whole sequence mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. whereas whereas this is much more you're seeing an entire motion of yeah. going up the house and everything that that is all captured in in not in one take but mm-hmm. um it also it also made me think of um Brian De Palma. I can't think of any movies where he actually uses that Just to kill maybe? Yeah, but but I was thinking of um I was thinking of uh Blowout because mm-hmm. that movie opens with with like the fake movie within a movie yeah. that John Travolta is is doing the sound for mm-hmm. and that is like it it's almost he must have been thinking of this movie when he made that I, I, don't, I don't I don't really know but it's it's almost identical because it's a killer outside of a sorority yeah um, and then he goes in and kills these girls um, and then they have the terrible scream and yeah. <laughs> that's what they need to find throughout the whole movie but um, I don't know do you, have you guys seen any earlier De Palma movies other than I guess I've seen Carrie but like I, I can't think of because that, that was meant to be like a spoof of his own work in a way in Blowout I would, I would think. I don't know, but he never he never made any like sorority slasher movie, De Palma. No. Yeah, but he must have used he must have used POV shots as well. I can't recall. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and then there's also a split diopter shot at one point in Black Christmas, and I was curious to know if De Palma was also using those at the same time. Can or... you explain what that is for our listeners? Yeah. So that's where the I don't know that much technically about it but it's just where they have like a dividing line and then you can use two separate lenses so that both the background and the foreground can stay in focus i can't think of any uses of it in in de palma's movies but where was it used in black christmas was it when she was Um, on the phone no no it's when the father's on the the phone okay um and then there's like a party happening in the background um or yeah, I guess in Blowout actually, there's a scene where where Travolta is is like on the phone, and I think that's in the train station, and so you but you can still see the whole, everything that's happening in the station in focus at the same time. Right. Yeah. So that the POV shot, I, I think, because it has such a close resemblance to the opening shot of Halloween, mm-hmm. um, that it's hard to it's hard to not look at Halloween as something that is directly cribbing from uh, at least. Parts of it are, are inspired from uh, Black Christmas, mm. and, uh, and and that opening POV shot in in Halloween, I think, is quite memorable as well. Absolutely. Do yeah. do you think that the killer in Black Christmas or uh, Michael Myers is is scarier? Which one's scarier? The the killer in Black Christmas, the voice on the phone, is horrific. Yeah. I found the phone calls terrifying. Um, they really got under my skin. Mm-hmm. It just, there was a real psychotic mania and disturbance to the, to the way it sounded and the way it was recorded. I just, I found it chilling. It was mm-hmm. really 
I, I'm actually cu- I'm curious if they actually if it was just a single voice actor it in was, one take like yeah. that it was that they weren't like layered vo- vocal performances. It was Bob because, Clark and Nick Mancuso. Okay, apparently. Because um, at some point it feels like it overlaps a bit too much. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. It feels manipulated yeah. where it wouldn't just if it was someone making a prank phone call. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Nick Mancuso stood on his head in order to compress his uh, larynx or something so it would sound even more demented. <laughs> I mean, this could be just him, you know, blowing his own horn, but uh, that's how he said he got some of the effects of the uh, disturbing voice. Mm. How about you, William? Michael Myers or... Um, Bill, is it Billy? What's his? The, how do you? What do you call the Black Christmas Killer? Because he's not actually like named at the end of the yeah. movie. Actually, well, to, just to answer your first question about um, which killer is scary, I, Michael Myers is scary just because when I saw Halloween, I was very young, mm. and because there, there's a lot of sequences in Halloween where he's where he's stalking people. Um, yeah. So I think that for me that was scary. Yeah, I guess the killer doesn't have as much of a presence in this movie other True. than the phone calls. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. I think I think as as like an omniscient presence that that exists outside of the movie, I find the killer in Black Christmas scarier than Michael Myers. As 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 a presence inside the movie, Michael Myers is scarier because, like, mm-hmm. like you say, there's more. Um, like there's, exactly. there's, you there's can more there's more murder thing. scenes <laughs> yeah. and there's more pursuits and stuff like that, and there's right. more suspense. Yeah, in agreed. in Halloween, but um, like just when the how how Black Christmas ends with with like the credits rolling over you still see the house and you see the cops standing outside and you know that the killer's still inside the house and you hear the phone ringing because he's still just wanting to make calls even though no one's there anymore um and that that he kind of represents this even greater evil than Kira dulia's character who's just kind of a piece of shit but like and he could have gotten violent at the end of the movie who knows but like the fact that it, I don't know. I, I guess it just made me think of of like the you know powerful men in Hollywood that go unnoticed for decades and are able to are able to you know prey on innocent victims. Like it 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 just feels more um, more representative of of like a greater cultural problem than just a kid who got who like witnessed his parents being murdered and then went crazy in an insane asylum and broke out. Like, like that seems like, that seems like something that is easier to contain than just this pure evil. And I get, I guess Mike Myers is pure evil too, but not Mike Myers, Michael Myers. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Depending on who you ask in Toronto, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe the love guru. <laughs> oh yes. Most definitely the love guru. Actually, um, I wanted to comment about, uh, cause you were asking like, how do we name this, this killer? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's kind of after the fact that we attribute the name Billy to him. Cause, yeah. cause in, he says the name Billy or we hear a voice at one point saying, um, identifying himself as Billy, right? And or, or, but it feels like it's more like he's acting out like a, like a, a, a parent-child conversation. Because isn't the name Agnes yeah. used as well? And I don't... Yeah, he's talking to someone named Agnes and identifying himself as Billy. Right. But we're not... Um, but he also, think, yeah, he also replicates conversations between Olivia Hussey and yeah, Peter. So yeah. you're right. I mean, we don't know if he's Billy. He could be just replicating a conversation that he's overheard yeah. in the house or somewhere yeah, else as yeah. well. Um, but I think the people who, uh, like what I saw on the internet was people 
put Billy as the name of a of the killer, but in quotes because it's it's not really right. explicit in the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is that's who the killer is, and the the person making the voices and the person that we kind of glimpse walking around in the house. I don't think you can definitely make that connection. I think it's an implied connection that they're the one and the same person. Don't you think? The Billy and the... The, the, pers- the the figure that we see creeping around the house yeah. and the voice that we hear making the phone calls, we're, we're putting those together after we've seen the movie and we're trying to make, we're trying to make a logical sequence about what, how these things connect. Well, but we know that the calls are coming from inside the house and we know that the killer is killing people inside the house and we know that... Th- I guess you're saying that it's possible that there's a second person or... Um, or, or just that is, we don't know if those two things are, those two characters are connected. Because there's also, um, there's also the other thing happening in the community. There's, there's like ch- children going missing or something in the community. Yeah. Um, and that's not happening in the house. That, those aren't killings in the house. Those are just right. children right, that have gone missing. Right, so yeah. there's something else happening mm-hmm. that can't be directly right. attributed to the figure we see in the house. So is it possible then that, I guess, are, what, are, are you saying that, like some of the killings could have been attributed to the person who's making the phone calls and is living in the attic, but it could also be that like Kira Dulia was was responsible for some of them as well. Or no, not, no, no, no. Uh, just that. Um, well, um, I, th- I think our wanting to put the name Billy to the killer is just it's just that um, impulse to find logic. The same way that the that. Um, with the more Halloween movies we got, we got more information about the background of Michael Myers. Yeah. Um, whereas in the first Halloween, in the credits, that character is just known as the shape. Right. Um, right. Okay. And so I think I think it's it's just that uh, our wanting to put the pieces together mm-hmm. makes us uh, uh, make these connections that aren't actually in the movie. I that maybe Bob Clark in Black Christmas and John Carpenter in Halloween, they're 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 trying to talk about just this the sense of a menace, the sense of evil that you can't right. control, that um, is maybe eternal, that you can't just defeat it by stabbing someone in the yeah. face. Yeah, right, right. right. I, I definitely get that sense in... Uh, I, yeah, I guess you get that sense in both movies because Halloween ends with him just, like, disappearing mm-hmm. when you think that he's dead because he's fallen out, fallen from a third-story yeah. window or whatever. <laughs> um, but... That's weird that I can remember that, despite not only seeing only having seen Halloween once and like more than ten years ago. But I don't I don't know if that's exactly how it ends, but I feel like it's pretty close. Pretty close, yeah. yeah. Pretty close, yeah. Um, but yeah, just like I said, specifically, I think the the way that the the way that the credits roll over the house and that and that phone call and the ringing gets louder and louder, like that that to me is just this feeling of just dread and evil and like you don't know like it's it's not it's not that you don't necessarily don't know where it's coming from it's just that it's coming from everywhere because that that sound surrounds you mm-hmm. um is this is this a time to talk about the ending and about what happens to jess i think there's some question about what happens to jess right like is jess a survivor or is she a victim um what's so the, she's what's the also distinction a, between she's also a murderer things? Yeah. Well, she's a killer. I don't know if she's a murderer. Is there a 
Sounds like just semantics. Someone is, yeah. At at a minimum, voluntary manslaughter. Right. Someone is dead at the hands of Jess. Yeah. I would say Jess is not guilty of first degree murder. But I'm not a lawyer. I just play one on television, William. <laughs> Alexander, did, you, did she? Was she? Did you? Did you get a? Did you get a sense that she was anything but a survivor? That she? They left her to sleep on the couch, and the shot went outside. Was there anything beyond that that you took from it? Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess like I was kind of thinking afterward, trying to figure out if the movie wants you to be sympathetic with the Cure Dulia character and him and him having perished or or is it not a not necessarily a triumphant death but like yeah that guy's fucking dead because he was a piece of shit anyway (laughs) like like i don't i don't i don't think it kind of comes down one way or the other on that I i think the movie is um i think they do a good job of of playing his character Peter. Peter. Yeah. Peter. Um, as um, he's, you know, he's a bit of a red herring, and we, I think I'm convinced watching the movie that he's probably responsible. Like things lead you to, lead you to accept that, yeah, this guy deserves to either be dumped or to be killed if he's going to be violent. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just the way that he, the way that he breaks into the basement and, oh, yeah. and like is pursuing her through all these corners and whatever like you just you get the sense that like he's not there for anything good no we've already seen him unhinged yeah he beat the shit out of that piano yeah yeah um yeah so i guess i guess maybe it is tipped more toward thinking yeah like it's it's not such a bad thing that he died Mm. um i don't I, i i i wouldn't say that i um i fault jess's character in any way for for reacting the way that she did, even but although although I guess the murder itself happens off screen, so we don't know that she's that she's doing that in response to him lunging at her or or whatever. So I guess it's just it's it's vague enough that you mm-hmm. can kind of interpret it the way you, the way you want. I guess I like I think I think it is possible for someone to watch that movie and think. Oh man, like what a what a tragedy that this that this that this person has died. Um, but I don't feel that way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean the explanation that Peter's responsible is good enough for the cops and it seems to be good enough for us as the audience. Yeah. yeah. Are you I'm I'm uns, I'm unsatisfied that knowing that there's still a girl missing and a body, you know, Claire was the first person to be murdered. And we never see Claire's body because it's in the attic. Yeah. Same with uh, um, the Mrs. McHenry yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you not do a sweep? Yeah. People have been murdered in this house. You wouldn't top to bottom do a sweep no, and have like the I hit team there doing things and like how how is it possible that especially two dead es- bodies are in the attic above a sleeping comatose girl or a sedated girl? Well, or why doesn't why doesn't the cop at the end pick up the phone? It's, I think it just, it's just reinforcing that the authorities are ineffectual in, in this story, right? And, and just incompetent. Yeah. Um, although, although the one, the one cop, John Saxon, or detective, I guess, like he's, he's shown to have some compassion and, um, some level of competence Mm -hmm. in, in wanting to actually do his job. Um, so yeah, it is, it is perplexing that if he's the one leading this investigation, why he wouldn't, um, 
want to go any further. Although, although I guess to a certain degree, what at least for that initial like the, the, it, it would I would presume that it's still an open crime scene, so they could go back and and go right. into the attic. But by that point, the whatever's in the attic, whether it's a killer or just a person harassing people, or uh, presumably he's involved in the, in at least some of the killings in some way. Um, he would be long gone by that point. Um, but yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like it's just frustrating. It's that frustrating. Things can't be wrapped up in, <laughs> yeah. A, yeah. in a neat boat. Um, you live in a house. <laughs> I do. Have you ever been up to the, if you don't have an attic, have you ever been up to the crawl space that is above your top floor? Uh, well, we had a rodent issue. So there was a gentleman who did go up in our attic and uh but did you go no i didn't we have a do have a crawl space underneath our front porch and uh it's filled with spider webs and it's really awful but, so you don't go those spaces right no. so i think maybe maybe these cops who who can't be bothered already to follow up leads right the idea of going into a dirty crawl space maybe just is not that not at the top of the list <laughs> did you recognize the kind of buffoon cop from porkies and he was also oh really he was in. He was the gym teacher in Porky's, and he was also oh. in Going Down the Road, which yeah. is a oh, seminal okay. Canadian movie. You, I was, you guys haven't talked about yet, but I'm sure you yeah. will. Did you, you write his name to? down? Doug McGrath. Doug McGrath. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking I've seen him in like TV or something. Oh yeah, he's he's. I think he's worked for you know 40 years. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and actually, Chris, the the boyfriend of Claire, the missing girl. The guy who wears the fur coat and plays hockey. Art Hindle. <laughs> Just Art Hindle was also in Porky's. So right. these are people that yes. uh, Bob Clark is obviously yeah. you know, going back to the well. He, he seemed like he's probably been in a lot of hockey movies. <laughs> <laughs> as many as there are, I guess. Right. <laughs> or as many as there would have been in the 70s when he was in prime hockey player looking right. form. Uh, according to IMDb trivia, um, that Art Hindle supplied his own for a coat. Oh. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's what it said. <laughs> nice. There is something so absurd about seeing a man in a fur coat. It's just, but it, I mean, it happened in the 70s. Burt yeah. Reynolds had a fur coat. I remember photos of him in a fur coat. It's just, it's a very specific place in time that a man <laughs> would wear a three-quarter length fur coat. I don't think it's going to come back. That trend is likely not going to come no. back. One more thing about the end scene. The caller would phone after he's committed a murder so why is he phoning at the end of the movie when when the camera like is outside the house and that cop is ignoring the phone has he committed one more murder maybe he's already killed olivia hussey yeah yeah that's possible she's pretty passive uh, victim at this point she's easily sedated and we get that we get that point of view shot it looks like a point of view shot shot of him uh you see uh jess sleeping and and, and the camera pulls back just to scan the hallway to see that there's no one around. So what happens at that at that moment is, is another one of these uh, vague questions, uh, vague things that uh, the, the movie sets up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warner Brothers really wanted him to change the ending. They thought it was highly unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Bob Clark was really determined to keep that ending as it was. Good on him. So this is a movie with a dude that kills women with long, sharp objects, and I guess strangles them as well. And it's set in a sorority, but the women remain fully clothed at all times, and they talk about their 
rights when it comes to their bodies and their minds, which is not common for a horror movie, I don't think, right? No, it's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, I was, I, was, I was shocked that there was no nudity in this movie the first time I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> because well, it it's seems like, like a it's B like, a B horror movie yeah. trope would be some you know at least just some like boobs. just like that opening scene of uh, of blowout of like the mm. fake sorority movie yeah I don't know like I I, I think like I think that's interesting in its own right but then but then um, I mean they are sexually active and they do die which yeah. is often a thing that that happens when you have sex in movies um, <laughs> when you're a young person then you you do get murdered but they don't but they don't have the they don't have like the final girl being a virgin trope. No. Which I guess it just had wasn't the virgin didn't exist was the, at the, the time. Professional virgin, as Margot Kidder called Claire, was the first to die. <laughs> yeah. <though. laughs> hmm. So that's actually an inverted uh, horror movie. Well, it, like if, if we're having that conversation about what set up the um, the tropes for the genre, I mean, this seems to be outside of that in terms of wanting to go along with the conventions that we now see in horror movies mm-hmm. in slasher movies so it, it does seem it seems like this could have been the example to inspire other filmmakers to make improvements on the formula so that except they went in the complete opposite yeah. direction well it was just it made more sensational right yeah yeah for, but it, but and and i would say that the deaths aren't um like fetishized the way that they are in other slasher movies too because like especially given that in most slasher movies, the teenagers are just so sh- such shitty people that you just like want <laughs> to see them die. Um, you almost like you almost like I can imagine watching these movies in in a packed theater that there would be a bunch of a bunch of like shitty dudes that would be like clapping when 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 these women are dying, right? Um, but I don't feel like this movie would allow an audience to do that because I don't I don't think that. The, like the camera doesn't doesn't delight in their death. The no, it's not that, salacious in yeah, any way yeah. or exploitive. Yeah, and I think the the attitude of the camera, aside from the the the, the unsettling POV shots from the killer, otherwise the the attitude of the camera is one of um, being on the receiving end of menace and and of that dread of what's happening, and uh, and feeling isolated and, and feeling cold. So I think. Um, yeah, I think it doesn't um, it doesn't use the setups for the deaths as as a way to reward the audience for for being here. It it uses it to say like you know it takes the situation seriously and says there's uh, these are these are characters at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so like the way that the deaths are treated, I think is 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 interesting in in relation to other horror movies, but. Um, I'm also curious, what, what Chris, if if you have any thoughts. Just like I was saying, the the discussions that are had between men and women in the movie are, again, not what you would expect. And like, like I, I, yeah, I, it was real. It was actually real grown up shit. Like yeah. these people, I guess, are possibly as young as 19. Yeah, I mean, they're in college. They're, there's the one gentleman who looks like Gabe Kaplan, who plays Santa Claus, who looks like he's a 45 year old man. But the idea is that these people are under 21. They're possibly teenagers, yet they're having these discussions. Like the discussion that uh, Olivia Hussey's character has with Peter is so 
mature. Yeah. And she actually says at one point, it's like she's taken, you know, conflict resolution courses where she's like, you know, let's talk about this in a rational way as adults. I'm like, who says that when they're a teenager, when your emotions are so spiked and everything's so spazzy and crazy? Yeah. Like they were very rational, smart, academic, feminist. I, I was... It was amazing the conversations they were having were so mature. Yeah. And even the fact that Barb was, Margot Kidder's, Kidder's, Kidder's character was um, obviously a lush, they were actually quite tenderhearted towards her, mm-hmm. you know, and they sort of took care of her and said, okay, Barb, enough. Let's put you to bed. Yeah. So they also weren't like, oh, my God, Barb's totally the worst. I can't even, which yeah. I feel like is what teenagers in a sorority would do now. They were actually kind of mature, and they're like, oh, let's just kind of pour Barb into bed and yeah. hopefully Clearly she'll sleep it off. Clearly she's got some issues that yeah. she's not dealing with, and right. let's try and help her out or whatever. Yeah. I also like the scene when they went to the police station, and <laughs> and they're being ignored, and, and it's Barb who's, like, um, you know, giving some some sass to the cops. and cause, mm-hmm. You know, because she's kind of, she's pissed off, and she wants some action. Um, so they let her be their abrasive spokesperson right so i you know i think she has uh her function in that in in that sorority house as well yeah she didn't as opposed to her being dismissed and outcast and then when she dies like oh fucking great like right she's she's out of the way but like i would hope that anyone when someone dies they have some compassion for it but other than other than maybe (laughs) cure (laughs) julius um when 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 innocent victims die you should feel bad about it when when shitty men die, maybe you don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I like that Barb didn't get the contemptuous eye roll from any of her. Like, they were like, hey, you know, Barb, cool it. You have to be nicer to Claire. And so I, I just, I really liked the way they interacted in a very mature way, mm-hmm. which didn't seem falsely mature, like, oh, they're a bunch of 40-somethings. It was just, I don't know, a different time when people were maybe just more grown up at 19. Yeah. So they're um, college age girls, so I'm, they're not they, exactly teens, but um, they could be teens. I mean, you're 18, 19, 20, 21 in college sure, that's university. Two, two of those years are. <laughs> <laughs> um, ages aside, so you you use the word feminist. I guess I, I feel like I feel like there's a tendency for. Um, I mean, I guess just since most film critics are male. There's, I feel like there's a tendency for like any time that there's a movie that has women talking about things other than other men, like, you know, the Bechdel test sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's a tendency for it just to immediately be labeled, oh, it's a feminist movie. But like, I guess, wh- wh- d- wh- where's the nuance there? Like, like d- d- is it something that you can just... Like I, I guess I don't I don't feel like I I have the authority to say this is a feminist movie, but I do find it interesting that um, the women are are allowed to to speak their minds and um, discuss issues that even today might be contentious, but certainly back in the '70s would have been contentious, like regarding abortion or or whatever it is. Mm. Like, is this a feminist movie? I guess is is my question to you. I would put it put it up there as a feminist movie for the reasons that you talked about, not being salacious, not being exploitive, not showing boobs, and having this level of maturity. Um, even Mrs. McHugh, who, of course, is an older generation person, when the dad is talking to her and there's that great poster of the two people making love and you see the, the naked bum and it's a peace sign, 
but it's people laying on top of each other with I didn't notice that at all. legs splayed. So it, it's a oh, made okay. of peace sign. She um, she tries to cover it when Claire's father comes to go for it. Oh, okay. No, don't I, yeah, I don't remember that. So even Mrs. McHugh's isn't isn't she isn't doesn't play the role like a Calvinist scold, like oh these girls and their free sex and love. Yeah. She's actually defending the girls by trying to cover up the poster because she doesn't think there's anything wrong with it, but she knows that Claire's dad will be upset yeah. by it. So even someone that's an older generation who secretly drinks and that that comic relief isn't totally successful. Yeah. But I like that this older character sort of defends the girls by saying. I don't disapprove of this, but I know that he would. Mm-hmm. Can it still be a feminist movie though if they have a character that's called who who is wasn't she Mrs. Queef or something? That was the dead girl's mom's name. Oh, the really? girl that they found in the park. Oh no. <laughs> that's a good question, William. <laughs> um, there was one other thing. Uh, something to do with the um, Anyway, I'm not. I'm not remembering. While you're uh, looking for that in your brain, uh, I'm kind of glad that we're talking about we're finishing our discussion about uh, Black Christmas because I've been trying to get rid of this earworm in my head um, because of the season. It found its way into my head, and I can't get rid of it until we finish this discussion. But it was this uh, made-up theme song for the movie. Okay. Yeah, it goes. Black Christmas, a film by Bob Clark. With Lois Lane and Dave from 2001. This year, instead of reindeer, let's watch a Canadian slasher. Slasher. Sorry, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) What's happening? (laughs) Well, at that time of year, Christmas time. There's like, all you hear is... Christmas songs on the radio and uh, in the malls. Right. And I keep hearing uh, George That Michael's George Michael song. Last they Christmas. play it all oh, the time. Oh, so that was to the tune of a, of a recognizable Christmas song? <laughs> that is the explanation of, of what that joke was. Yes. Okay. Because I, okay. I, I, I don't know if I'm familiar with that song. I don't know. Alexander we'll is song. emerging we'll from some sort song. of cryogenic chamber where he's been frozen for the last 12 years. I mean, I know Jitterbug. Oh no! Last Christmas is played to <laughs> death. I, I must, I okay. must know it, but I don't know. Anyway, yeah. um, if you didn't recognize oh, it through William's song Christmas. stylings, <laughs> exactly. Okay, That's yeah. Right. okay, yeah, yeah. I got it's it. pretty. That's a pretty jumpy beat for that <laughs> song, though. <laughs> well, it's sped up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, can I say a few things about uh, casting? Even though we've talked about cast a little bit, yes. The role of Mrs. McHugh's was offered. Or Mrs. McHenry was offered to Bette Davis, and she actually, <laughs> yeah, did, did not take the role. The role of Andrea Martin, who plays Phil, uh, was actually Gilda Radner, hmm. and she had to drop out one month before the production because of SNL commitments. So hmm. Andrea Martin stepped in, and she has some kind of comedy connection, does she not? Andrea and, Martin, yeah. She's oh a, yeah, she's, she's a, common, a legend. Yeah. yeah. Legend, SCTV. Yeah, that's why I thought it was her. Yeah. My big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Not so comedy. Uh, Andrea Martin actually plays Mrs. McHenry in the remake. Yeah. Uh, and Edmund O'Brien, old character actor from the 50s and 60s, was originally cast in the John Saxon role, but his Alzheimer's was progressing, and so he wasn't able to work on the production. So they mm. called Saxon a day before 
they started oh. shooting and he flew in from New York. Are you wow. saying most of the cast are second choices? <laughs> oh, <that's> sad. <laughs> oh, did, oh, and Olivia Hussey met with a psychic who said, you're going to make a movie in Canada that will earn you a lot of money, which is why she took the role. And then all the girls that worked on the, the women that worked on the production became really close because they were filming for a couple couple months. And they would they would tease Olivia Hussey because she said that her psychic also told her that she was supposed to be married to Paul McCartney. Mm. So didn't quite pan out for Olivia Hussey, but uh, the psychic I was right on that, one of those I would counts. say that maybe it panned out in the sense that, like, maybe you don't want to be married to Paul McCartney. I don't know. <laughs> Not if you're a meat eater, I guess. <laughs> That's all I have to say about casting. Any final thoughts before we give this thing a rating? No. It's oh, a good uh, movie. It's a yeah, good movie. we had a budget of six hundred and twenty thousand and made four million, which I think is pretty respectable. Pretty darn good. Yeah. Do you think we'd watch and discuss the remake at some point? Because it was um, shot in Vancouver, I think. Oh, is really? Yeah. Well, probably. It's kind of neat. I like then James, would we do I like, the I like My James, Bloody Valentine remake James, as well? Is James Wong? Okay. Yeah, I like. I, th- I feel like he's he's a good good horror filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I think he does the Final Destination movies, or is he, he's involved with those as well? Huh. No? I'm thinking um, The Conjuring. Oh, yeah. Didn't he make that? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, That was right. a good one. Okay. Insidious? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, maybe in a future, maybe in time for um, Canada Day. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Canadian Film Day, or whatever oh, it's called. April, April 19th. 20th. No, oh, did it they used, change it to it the 19th? To, it used to be the 20th. <laughs> Until they realize it's not 420 that that's anymore. Day, yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> cool beans. Uh, I'm going to say fucking a plus. It's, it's like it's a good one. Yeah. Well, Chris, I'll say fucking a. Yeah, highly oh. enjoyable. Um, I I think it's a solid uh, horror movie and uh, great atmosphere and uh, it's definitely a fucking B plus for me. Nice. Cool beans. Uh, where's our other content? Oh, the website. Filmedincanada.net. Uh, like William mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we do have a new Facebook group that is searchable on Facebook. Um, I will need to approve your membership if you request it, but you can find it. And look up our past podcast recordings. Also, some written content. Alexander is doing um, summaries for Nirvana, the band, the show, the second season. And uh, Chris, do you have a website to plug? No, but you can follow me on Instagram at Chris Savory with three S's at Gmail or however. I don't no, know. I'm just no, new. No emails. Yeah, okay. I'm new to this. I've, I've yeah. been on it so, for sorry, three weeks. Sorry, Chris with... Chris Savory with three S's. So just an extra S. One extra S? That's right. Okay, got yeah. it. Is your middle name with an S? No, I just... Okay. Didn't have... Chris Savory was gone? Yeah. That's Chris... Savory? Savory. Right. I feel like yeah. that's more than one extra S. Sounds like maybe five. Oh, yeah. Okay. But we'll stick with three. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for awesome. having me back, you guys. Thank you for joining us. And thanks for listening again, listeners. Hope you'll listen again. <laughs> that sounded stupid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Catch you later. Bye.